On this episode of Blue 58, we finally got a quasi-answer to one of the most enduring mysteries of the 2018 season. Let's talk about what happened to Cole Madison. Then, the Packers got a win against the Dolphins, but then had to head to Seattle on short rest. How did that turn out? Well, pretty much like every other trip to Seattle. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here as always. Hope you're staying warm and dry because that has been a bit of a challenge where I am. And judging by a lot of the rest of the country, that's uh, probably true of where you are too. Got some pictures from my parents up in Wisconsin today. Got quite a bit of snow where they were. We had mostly freezing rain and ice. Not a lot of fun. At least you don't have to shovel ice, but you also can't really go anywhere either. This is the first time that I've ever not gone to work because of how bad the roads were. And uh, ice is not a lot of fun. So uh, let's hope for some better weather in the future. Spring, not that far away. We're in the middle of February, which means March is not that far away, which means we can start thinking about spring, which means we can start thinking about the draft and the football that follows it. See? Good things on the horizon. We're looking back in this episode, looking back with a little bit of help from some new information that we got that finally clears up, at least officially, what we think was going on with Cole Madison. The situation turns out to have been kind of what I thought, and I think what everybody else thought, too. The Michael Cohen, or the Athletics' Michael Cohen did a thing about Cole Madison missing the 2018 season, and it kind of sounds like he could be sort of done with football for the foreseeable future. The situation ended up being that he kind of rethought his commitment to football after reconsidering his role in the game after the death of his friend Tyler Holinsky. You can read up on that entire story all you want. Let's do some takeaways on the actual article from The Athletic. First and foremost, the, coast, the, the source that Michael Cohen used here, I think, is kind of a bad person. It's Michael Cohen's job. If he can get the information from a reputable source, he should do that. If this person is a reputable source, that's fine. But that doesn't mean, just because you're a reputable source doesn't mean you're not a bad person here. Here's a quote from the article. Quote, the death of Tyler is in his head. A source familiar with Madison's situation told The Athletic Wisconsin, I don't think he's coming back. At least he's not showing signs of it right now. This person is one of Cole Madison's friends, or at least someone who knows him well. We know that it's not an agent or someone in his family because that is actually spelled out in the article. Quote, attempts to reach Madison through his agents were unsuccessful. Calls and messages to the Madison family went unreturned. End quote. That means a friend gave this information to the media. And it's not clear if that happened with Madison's blessing. It surely didn't come at his behest because the official channels that he has chose not to um, kind of spell that out. And they could have. Uh, he could have just come forward, and I realize that he's a pretty private guy. That is, of course, his right. But if he wanted to get this information out, he had the opportunity to control the message. This is... Either him deciding he doesn't want to be in control or not having the opportunity to decide that. Either one, less than ideal, I think. But I think this article shows that at least some people, perhaps Cohen, perhaps others, are thinking about this all wrong. Let me read 
one of the final paragraphs of the article. Quote, the Packers maintained rights to Madison by placing him on the reserve slash did not report list at the start of camp, which meant he didn't count against the active roster. Since then, members of the organization have clung to the party line regarding Madison's situation, that he's dealing with a personal matter in his native Washington, that the Packers respect his right to privacy, and that they hope he can eventually return to the field. What a weird way of positioning to that. Quote, clung to the party line. Well, what else are they supposed to do? Are they going to come out and just say, yep, we know what's going on. We're going to tell you about it right here, right now, even though he's decided to not speak about it. Should they have said that, should they not have returned, he hoped to the, or should they not have hoped that he's going to return to the field? Should they uh, have not respected his right to privacy? I Spinning this as clinging to the party line is just borderline nonsensical. How about you say they accurately stated what happened? The Packers got up and said, yep, he's dealing with a personal situation. No, we don't want to talk about it. He doesn't seem to want to talk about it either. We'll support him. And if he wants to come back, he can. That's really all there is to say. Those are the options for the Packers that a an above-board organization is going to take. Sure, they could have blown him up. Nobody's going to do that in 2019, at least no team that wants to have people come play for them in the future. There is no situation here other than, or there's no scenario here other than what the Packers did. And pretending like this was some, I don't know, the Packers holding out on the media or whatever, I don't know, do your job, figure it out. That's what ultimately happened here anyway, and most of us seem to have guessed what the situation was. It all ends up being weird. I'm glad we can talk about it openly now i felt stupid for most of the season talking about how i had a theory but didn't want to say it i think you understand why i didn't but at least now we can move on what you kind of can't get around here though is not having madison was a big blow to the packers he should do absolutely he did the right thing if he was on the fence about playing he did the right thing by not showing up but it did put the Packers in a bad spot, and they suffered for that decision. And it, you know, there were ripple effects throughout. I think there's a discussion to be had about how the Packers handled this situation from a personnel standpoint, because I kind of think they probably knew this was coming. They probably had an idea that he was eh, maybe a little wishy-washy. If they were completely caught off guard, okay. But even so, the only real steps they took at guard this year was signing Byron Bell. Was he the best option out there? I kind of have a hard time believing that. I don't know. You can't argue that the Packers were as good as they could have been at guard in 2018, whether that's because of Cole Madison or a plethora of other reasons. I think that is the bottom line here. And uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not he returns. kind of don't think he will. And uh, how the Packers handle that going forward. There is work to be done on the offensive line, and this situation, I guess, is is partly one reason why. Let's transition to some happier topics. Happier in the sense that they are not life-and-death discussions about somebody's future, um, and that's really about the only situation in, in which they're a little bit happier here because we are still on the downward swing for the Packers in 2018. Things never really get better for the Packers in the second half of the season, but at least things are different after Mike McCarthy gets fired. We're not quite there yet. 
We're talking in this episode about games 9 and 10 of 2018. As you might recall, we are recapping every game of the 2018 season with three important questions. What led up to a particular game? What happened in that game? And how should we remember this game? Why are we asking these questions? We think it's worth teasing out the true narrative of the 2018 season, such as it is. Uh, It might help us remember some important things that we forgot. And it helps us just at a a baseline remember who did what and when in 2018. So let's dive right in. The Packers get to host the Miami Dolphins on November 11th at Lambeau Field. What led up to this game? Well, what led up to this game was some big problems in the secondary. After an atrocious outing against the Patriots, one from which that he was ejected, and then followed it up with some apparently unusual off-the-field sort of stuff, some locker room issues, Jermaine Whitehead gets cut. The Packers are down yet another safety. Bashad Breland is a little bit banged up. The Packers sign Ibrahim Campbell, another safety, and then they promote Will Redmond to the active roster. Not exactly a murderer's row there back there in the secondary. They also, at this point of the season, moved Geronimo Allison to injured reserve. He could not make it all the way back from the range of injuries he had suffered throughout the course of the season. This, to me, is one of the first, hey, we're not going to really make a run at this type moves that the Packers made. You could argue that trading HaHa Clinton Dix was up there too. That probably was also just selling high on Clinton Dix. But this one, they are cutting off entirely an avenue for a relatively significant contributor to return. Allison could have come back in 2018 had the Packers made a deep, deep playoff run. I think everybody knew at this point that was fairly unlikely. So this is a, yep, we're probably done here type move. Also happening this week, The Packers were linked to Bruce Irvin, who had been cut by the Raiders after they could not find a dance partner at the training deadline. They could have claimed him on waivers, but ultimately didn't end up making the move since he wanted to go to Atlanta anyway. Finally, I think confidence was at a bit of a low ebb here leading up to the Dolphins game. Case in point, here's what I wrote in my preview. At 3-4-1, the Packers need to reel off seven wins in eight games to get to the 10-win plateau that Mike McCarthy so often preaches about. That's not impossible, but it takes a team firing on all cylinders for two months straight for it to come about. After watching this team struggle to fire on all cylinders for two consecutive drives, much less two quarters or two halves or even two games, do you have a lot of confidence that it can happen? I think I would posit then and now, no. And there, looking back, really was not a lot of reason to have confidence in the Packers figuring things out at any point. And they certainly did not, as we will see. So what happened in this game? Three important things. First, Brock Osweiler was going to start for the the Dolphins. So you know that's a pretty good thing for the Packers. And you know that some more good things are probably going to happen sooner or later in the form of turnovers or just generally poor play. He also had kind of a a decent sense that the Packers were going to be pretty inconsistent and that they were ultimately probably going to win, but it may not be a feel-good sort of victory. And if they did, what would it even teach us about the Packers anyway? Turns out not a whole lot. Because Brock Osweiler did end up starting for the Dolphins, and he did end up helping the Packers do some good things, or have some good things happen to them at least. He gave away a fumble on the Dolphins' first drive. He also threw an interception late. Good stuff there for the Packers, who were, as we predicted, fairly inconsistent. They got out to an early 14-0 lead, 
But the Dolphins kind of climbed back into the game because the Packers just couldn't really get anything going on offense. The game was 14-12 to in the third quarter. The Packers also had a blocked punt in there a little bit, helped the, the Dolphins score some of those points, just an all-around, again, unimpressive effort for the Packers. The Packers did end up winning, too, it should be noted. They scored 17 points in the last quarter and a half to ultimately win 31-12. to But that game was really not that score. It was a lot closer. It felt a lot closer than it ultimately probably should have been. We did get kind of peak Aaron Jones in this game. He had 145 yards on 15 carries, including a 67-yard touchdown. But as a bottom line, this game ended up being pretty much immaterial. What actually happened was inconsequential for a couple reasons, I think. First, the Dolphins were in the midst of their own kind of spiral of inconsistency. They were 5-5 after this game, nominally similar to the Packers, but they had won just two of six games before this one. They had an overtime win against the Bears and a 13-6 win against the Jets, both of those a little bit on the fluky side. Secondly, the Packers, who had beaten up on some bad teams earlier in the season, really didn't do much to beat up on the Dolphins. Yeah, the final score shows them winning by 19, but it felt like it should have been more than that. And if I told you that Aaron Jones is going to have the kind of game that he did, would you have thought that it would have taken until the fourth quarter for the Packers to really put the game away? Probably not. And finally, the Seahawks were just four days away, and injuries were mounting. Bashad Breland and Jair Alexander both left this game with injuries. Alexander would be out for the next game. Breland did end up playing. Just a, just a lackluster game all around. So how do we remember it? Well, I would advise just trying your best to remember it at all because I'm not entirely sure still that it actually happened. Earlier this offseason, I was doing some research on a different subject. Uh, Jimmy Graham, I believe it was. I was writing a piece about about him or doing some background for something on him. And I looked at his 2018 game logs and I saw Miami in there. And I was like, Miami? Packers played Miami? That can't be right. That must have been when he was in Seattle. No. Packers did play Miami in 2018. Are you sure that really happened? I've read this box score 15 times. I've gone back and looked at notes that I wrote by hand about this game. I'm still not entirely certain this wasn't some kind of mass hallucination that we all just kind of remember together. It doesn't feel real. So that's why I would call it kind of a fake-out game. It's kind of a game during a down stretch for the Packers, one in which they'd end up losing three out of four, where they looked semi-competent. And if you just look at those box scores that I'm still not entirely sure are completely real, it looks like a weird kind of outlier, a utter fake-out. Against the Rams, the Packers came up short. And you say, shoot, the Packers might be bad. Starting to wonder if this might be a really bad team. Then they lose to the Patriots the way they did, and you say, yeah, it does kind of look like they are this bad, and it's going to continue to be this bad. But then they beat the Dolphins, and you say, oh, wait, maybe they look okay. But then the Seahawks happen, and, well, maybe those suspicions are confirmed. Maybe the Packers do kind of look pretty bad. For their 10th game of the season, the Packers traveled to Seattle, that old house of horrors. November 15th, 2018. What led up to this game? Well, of course, it's a short week. 
Thursday's games are kind of gross, kind of fun, because it's unexpected and weird. But they also are not fun from a podcasting perspective, because you end up having to stay up late after the game. And then that makes Friday pretty bad. Drank a lot of coffee on Friday. Then you go right into the weekend, and you can watch whatever games you want on Sunday afternoon. You don't have to record a podcast Sunday night. It kind of evens out. But still, from a player's perspective, it ends up being pretty bad because they don't have rest and guys get hurt. And I don't know. It's gross, kind of. The Packers had plenty of injuries to deal with here. Randall Cobb was going to be out for this game. Kevin King was going to be out for this game. Nick Perry was going to be out for this game. Kentrell Bryce was going to be out this game. But fortunately, they did get some relief. Trevor Davis returned from injured reserve. Thank goodness for that. This would turn out to be one of just two games Trevor Davis would play in 2018. That is really the only injury help that is coming for the Packers because injuries would turn out to be a pretty big problem in this game. The only other thing of note, since the Packers pretty much spent all week just trying to shield themselves in a bubble and not have yet another person get hurt, was the announcement that the Packers were going to wear their color rush uniforms for this game. Not super consequential, but still, the white over white is a look. I don't entirely hate it. don't entirely love it. I guess that's kind of color rush in a nutshell, isn't it? Don't really hate it. Don't really love it. Wouldn't care if it went away. So what happened in this game? Well, there are two different categories here. There is what happened and what happened. What happened is just the play-by-play. What happened is kind of the metagame, the stuff that you kind of have to read between the lines to see or maybe look a little bit closer to see. But let's talk about what actually happened first, the play-by-play. Stop me if you've heard this one, but the Packers got off to a strong start in Seattle, but then allowed the Seahawks to come back and win a pretty close game. Boy, if I had a nickel for every time that happened, I'd have like three nickels. It's more nickels than I would usually have, but not a lot. More than I would like to have in this particular instance, because losing games that you should win in Seattle gets to be annoying after a while. Seahawks got off to a bad start. They got the ball to open the game, but fumbled on their first play, and the Packers went down and scored on a very nice seven-yard run by Aaron Jones. Just beautifully executed, beautifully blocked, beautifully designed. 7 nothing Packers. The Packers have a chance to go up 10 to nothing on their next drive, but Mason Crosby missed a 47-yard field goal. The Packers, of course, ended up losing this game by three points. The Seahawks started to answer with a field goal. A couple drives later, it's 7-3. to Packers still on top. And then the Packers, looking like they may be exercising some demons in Seattle, score on one of the single best plays of their year. Robert Tanyan leaks down the left sideline and circles into the end zone on a play that Aaron Rodgers is extending. Rodgers sees him, uncorks a 54-yard touchdown pass. Robert Tanyan, of course, on the receiving end there. His first career touchdown, and the Packers are up 14-3. to Rodgers said after the game he thought it might be Jimmy Graham. Take that however you will. Not sure how well that reflects on Aaron Rodgers, but at the start of the play, Graham and Tanyan were lined up on the same side of the formation, so maybe it's a little bit understandable that he got them confused. Seattle then drives down and scores a touchdown to make it 14-10. On the ensuing kickoff, Trevor Davis explodes with the big kickoff return, but it is nullified by a penalty. Take a drink in the 2018 Packers drinking game. Things started to turn a little bit for the Packers following that. 
with one alarming play. Aaron Rodgers was sacked on a third and relatively short. Normally, that's not a super big deal, but third downs turned out to be key for the Packers in the second half. And that Rodgers was sacked in kind of the way he was, well, that was kind of evidence of a, of a trend that we saw. We'll, we'll dive into that a little bit later on. After that Rodgers sacked, sack, Seattle scored in just four plays, thanks in part to a 48-yard pass interference penalty on one Raven Green. Not great. 17-14 is now the score. Seattle is on top. And you know, you thought for a second, as did I. Well, here we are again. Packers are unraveling in Seattle. It's been fun. And they were, but it seemed for a second like they were not going to be because there was a beautiful drive in store for us. The Packers climbed back into the game and took the lead just before the half thanks to a wonderful drive that featured Aaron Jones on three, count them, three very nice passing plays. They had two quick passes to Jones to start the Packers' final drive of the second half. And that drive ultimately ended with a wonderful 24-yard touchdown pass to Aaron Jones, who ran, get this, an actual route out of the backfield. It wasn't just a check down. He ran a real, true, honest-to-goodness actual route. The Packers are up 21-17, to heading into the second half. But after that, it is all Seattle. In the second half, the Packers had just two drives of longer than 17 yards in the entire half. Just one of those drives ended in points. But still, despite that virtual entire half stuck in neutral, the Packers still trailed by only three points with five minutes and eight seconds to go. They've got a chance here. And they get the ball back on their own 25-yard line with five minutes on the clock. After three inconsequential plays, the Packers faced a fourth and two, and they decided to punt. And they never touched the ball again. The game ends. Seattle wins 27-24. Let's talk about what happened. The meta game here. The between-the-lines stuff. And this was this section is ripped pretty much from my post-game podcast notes because everything that seems kind of subtle in this game also seems blindingly obvious at the same time. Because the Packers, to borrow a phrase that we used a couple episodes again, were loud bad in a couple significant ways. First and foremost, Aaron Rodgers was very sneaky, but also very obviously bad in this game. Take a look at how he performed on third downs in the second half. They converted a third and four on a third on a free play that he earned uh, a 12 men on the field call for. So that one's okay. On a third and seven, there was a deep shot to Devontae Adams that fell incomplete. On a third and 10, he was sacked. On a third and three, after a timeout, he was sacked again. On a third and nine, he took a deep shot to Devontae Adams that fell, uh, that was complete. But then on a third and five, he was sacked. And on the final third down of the game, he bounced a pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling that may have been tipped. Those last two plays in particular kind of came in a horrendous sequence for Rodgers. The last four Packers plays were that third and five that happened deep in Seattle territory, just over eight minutes left. It seemed like on that play, this is the one that you've seen a million screenshots of. It looked like he had Aaron Jones open near the first down marker, but he tried to scramble instead and was sacked. Now, I don't know if you want to play the let's second guess Aaron Rodgers game on every single play, 
and I'm not even sure this is a good example, but there was a fairly strong body of evidence in 2018 that Aaron Rodgers was just not taking checkdowns. And on this particular play, it seems like if he had been willing to look for one, the Packers could have converted and maybe scored a touchdown and changed the entire complexion of this game. More broadly speaking, it seemed like the Seahawks just saw Aaron Rodgers coming a mile away in this one. They waited for him to run on third downs, and then they just closed in. That's what he traditionally does against man coverage. The Seahawks played a lot of man coverage in this game, and when he tried to run, they were waiting for him, and he ran kind of right into their arms. Then there are some coaching issues. On defense, for all the good that Mike Pettin did throughout the course of the season, this was not one of his better games. And I'm not sure there's a lot that you can do here, but he had to know that Seattle was going to run the ball. And he and the Packers defense were just unable to stop them, even a little bit. Seattle rolled up 173 yards on 35 attempts in this one. But that's about it for Pettin. If the Packers played better on offense, that may not have mattered. The Packers made a couple questionable coaching decisions on the other side of the ball, and this falls pretty squarely on Mike McCarthy. On the drive, when Seattle went ahead, went up 27-24. On a first and 10 play, Tyler Lockett ran kind of a deep corner and may have not squared away a catch. If the Packers challenged, I think there's a good chance they overturn that play. But McCarthy, who has only one timeout left, decides not to challenge thinking maybe he'll need that tight end, hurt that tight end, that timeout later in the game. The Seahawks go on to score, and the rest is history. Probably would have been the right decision to challenge that one. Even if you don't win, you've only got one timeout left. How much is it really going to matter? More to the point, why did the Packers only have one timeout left? Well, because they couldn't get organized earlier in the game and had to call a timeout ahead of a third and nine play. One that, albeit, ended up being a completion to Devontae Adams. But why can't you just get to the line and call the plays? That was a consistent issue for the Packers throughout 2018. But then, let's talk about that fourth and two play late. Of course, Aaron Rodgers has the bad sequence there. But facing a fourth and two with just over four minutes to go, And one timeout. Mike McCarthy decides to punt. There's a couple factors that go into this game here, or this decision here. And I don't think any of them really favor McCarthy. Because since they only have one timeout, they're really only a first down away from losing this game. So that's a big strike, I think, against McCarthy. Second... Your defense really hasn't done a lot to stop Seattle in the second half. So you're really deciding between trusting your offense, which hasn't been super great, trusting your defense, which hasn't been super great. And I think there is a slightly defensible position that says, you know, I guess we can count on our defense to get it back. There's still four minutes left. But if you're trying to control the game, what gives you more control, your offense or your defense? I think I'm betting on my offense there. But 
ultimately, the entire thing just kind of ends up being very emblematic of the 2018 Packers. In this situation, the Packers decide they are going to count on their defense, which hasn't stopped Seattle on the ground all game, to get a stop in a clock-killing situation because their offense can't get two yards. You're going to count on your defense, which is bad, because your offense has been worse. So bad that you can't even count on them to get two yards when you absolutely got to have two yards. There's the 2018 Packers. But you can't talk about this game without mentioning injuries. Because the Packers, who came in with some serious injury issues and were on a short week already, lost quite a few players during the course of this game. Jimmy Graham leaves with his thumb injury. Bashad Breland with his ongoing soft tissue deal. Raven Green pulls up lane, has to go off. And Mike Daniels also has to leave the game. That's two more starters that you lose and two guys who started in place of regular starters. Not great. And I would argue that, as always, pretending that injuries aren't a factor is a little bit on the foolish side. I know you got to play with the guys that you have, and that's true. But between the four they lost during the game and the four that they lost because they were playing on a short week, pretty much, I mean, that's 15% of your 53-man roster. That's a lot of guys. And that hurts your depth in significant ways. And what happens when you lose depth? You start getting beat up late in games and you can't get off the field because other teams are just fresher than you. That's exactly what happened in this game. So how do we remember the Packers-Seahawks game? Well, you remember it as the Kyler Fackrell three-sack game, of course. Didn't even mention that during the play-by-play because kind of ended up being inconsequential. Ultimately, I think this should have been the game that told us the Packers were done. After this game, they were 4-5-1. and one. And it's really kind of looking at that point like you need to go 6-0 and oh over your final six games to get into the playoffs and probably get some help. This game was there for the taking. A lot like the Patriots game, even more like the Rams game. And once again, the Packers couldn't close. They were done after this game. And becoming more done each and every week. Fortunately, there is a change on the horizon, as we will talk about in our next episode. The Mike McCarthy era is rapidly coming to an end. And finally, on Friday, that shoe is going to drop. Thanks to a loss to the Arizona Cardinals. But that is for next time. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. If you'd like to reach out via email, the address is thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We do appreciate your support. Financial support is great. Best way to do that is on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar per month goes a long way towards helping offset our hosting and uh, podcast hosting costs. Uh, You can also wear your support if you'd like to do that by buying a t-shirt or a sweatshirt from Teespring. Uh, Click the shop link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. And as always, you can leave us a review on iTunes. uh, That helps more people find the show. We do love to hear from you, as always. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better. It helps us all also become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.